Dr. Scott Hahn, this is a great privilege for me to talk to you here on the podcast. Uh, I remember listening to Rome Sweet Home on a cassette tape in my car <laughs> in the middle of a conversion experience after college. And uh, as I mentioned before, I just I remember you, you weave a lot of systematic theology into your scripture. And I just remember things you said, even from years ago. And um, so I just thank you for all your work and fidelity. And just talking to you now, I realize, man, you, you've been through some stuff. You're not naive about the church and things and experiences you've had and stuff like that. So it's, it's been tempered and enriched there. It's been basted, I guess, and cooked. <laughs> I like that image. <laughs> but you talk about the, how important the focusing on the mysteries of our faith are. You just told me this beautiful uh, teaching about the Eucharist and why it's a sacrifice. Tell yeah. me again. Sure. <laughs> well, let me take a step back and just talk about, you know, the privilege and the joy, what it's been like to be a Catholic theology professor. I think in any other age of church history, you know, I would be lucky to be called a catechist. You know, uh, a friend of mine once said, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed is king. You know, and so I feel like the one-eyed guy. But when it comes to what my eye is focused on, in that it is the Holy Eucharist mm -hmm. as the Paschal mystery. You know, but the sacred mysteries, you know, are really constituting one mysterium fidei. Um, and so it's important for us not just to memorize lists of doctrines, however important that is, uh, or, you know, the commandments and that sort of thing. And I do emphasize memorization, but I think even more, it's the contemplation. It's distinguishing things for the purpose of uniting them, just as we do with the mystery of the Trinity, We've got one nature, three persons. When we deal with the mystery of the incarnation, we've got one person and two natures. We distinguish not to separate, not to divide the way scientists do with material objects, but we distinguish to unite, as Aquinas would say, as Jacques Maritain called his great book, Degrees of Knowledge, Distinguished to Unite. And so when we look at Holy Thursday and we see, okay, that's the Last Supper. That's the institution of the Eucharist. That's the institution of the sacrament of holy orders. That's wonderful. And it's true. Freeze that. Don't let go of it. When we look at Good Friday, we see the crucifixion. We see the passion and death of Jesus. And then when we look at Easter Sunday, we see the resurrection, you know, and that is a historical event. It's, it's a miracle, perhaps the single greatest of all. It's the fulfillment of prophecy, but it's more than a resuscitated corpse like Lazarus after four days. But in order to understand the nexus mysterium, that's what chapter four of Dei Filius in Vatican I puts it. And it's probably a kind of quotation drawn from my personal favorite theologian, a 19th century figure by the name of Matthias Joseph Schaben, S-C-H-E-E-B-E-N. Uh, our publishing arm at the St. Paul Center uh, Emmaus Road, an Emmaus academic, has single-handedly taken on the translation of Shaban's dogmatics for the first time ever, as well as the mysteries of Christianity. I had a couple of conversations with John Paul II and a couple of conversations with then Cardinal Ratzinger about Matthias Joseph Shaban because he was a favorite of both of them. And they couldn't believe that American Catholics were even aware of him. Uh, he was a, a 19th century German theologian, the likes of which we've never really seen. And so we're translating all of his works right now that we can. 
and it's causing something of a renewal because he focuses upon the sacred mysteries as mysteries. They're not just philosophical deductions. They're not scientific investigations. They're, you know, they're really, they go beyond reason, but not against it, even though at times it might feel like it does. It goes beyond our scientific, you know, it goes beyond the five senses, but not against them, you know. And so what we have to do is just to step back and look at what seems to be obvious, but only after you look at it. It's kind of hiding in plain view that every Christian in the 21st century would profess that what happened to Jesus on Good Friday there at Calvary is a sacrifice. Every Christian today professes that. But what every Christian professes in the 21st century just so happens to be exactly what nobody would have recognized on Good Friday, even if they'd been standing there at the foot of the cross. Because as devout Jews following Jesus, they would have told you that a sacrifice can only take place if it's offered in the Jerusalem temple on top of an altar with a Levitical priest presiding. He's crucified outside the walls of the city. Far from the temple, there were no altars. This is no sacrifice. This is a Roman execution. And so the $64,000 question became for me as a Protestant seeking wisdom, how did a Roman execution get turned into a sacrifice? And one so holy that it ends up retiring all of the animals that were offered in the <laughs> Jerusalem temple. You know, and it's obviously by connecting the old and the new, but it's not a simple formula. It really took me to spend time in the early church. Fathers who would obviously, I mean, St. Paul describes himself sometimes as a mother nurse. Well, I think the early church fathers were fed from St. Paul because of how many times you hear them quote 1 Corinthians chapter 5 or 7, that Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed, therefore let us keep the feast. And the feast that Paul goes on to explain in the rest of Corinthians is the Eucharist. It's the only epistle where he ever explicitly even mentions the Eucharist, and it's where he treats it, he explicates it. And no wonder, because Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed, therefore keep, let us keep the feast. What Paul did for the early church fathers was to connect the dots, not just the old and the new, but what Jesus was doing in the upper room on Holy Thursday, he wasn't just celebrating the Passover one last time. He wasn't even just fulfilling it as the Lamb of God. He was fulfilling it by transforming the Passover of the Old Covenant into the Passover of the New in a way that the, prob the disciples probably didn't fully understand. Not that we do today, but I mean, what he was doing would have been totally familiar because they grew up as devout Jews, except what he did with the, the matzah, the unleavened bread. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my, wait a minute, what was that little rhetorical flourish? You don't just <laughs> improvise here, you know? Right. But then he's back on track, and near the end of the Passover, he takes the chalice, which many believe to be the third cup, and pronounces words we've heard all of our lives. They never heard this before. This is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. Say what? You know, mm. you know they must have wondered, okay, he's clearly, you know, he's adding things. Is it just rhetoric? Is there, is there anything more than the ritual? Is there a reality here? Well, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have seen. They couldn't have believed until the next day. So on Good Friday, there at Calvary, they would have seen his body, like the beloved disciple does as he's standing at the foot of the cross, and they probably would have been inspired by the Spirit to think back to the words, this is my body which will be given up for you. 
huh, wonder what the connection here is, you know. And then later, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Ooh. You know, you see the body, you see the blood poured out, you begin to connect the dots like St. Paul did. So you look at Friday as something more than an execution, precisely because Thursday was more than a meal. It was more than just celebrating the old Passover one last time. If the Eucharist is just a meal, then Calvary is nothing more than an execution. But if the Eucharist is where the Passover of the new covenant was instituted, as Passover, it couldn't be just a meal. It had to be a sacrifice first and foremost. It wouldn't even rise to the level of the old covenant Passover, which is the meal. Ask any lamb if he could talk, he would tell you this is more than a meal. This is a total sacrifice. And if that's true for the irrational animals, it's not right. less but more true for the lamb of God who's laying his life down out of, a, out of love for us. Right. Suddenly you begin to sense, okay, you can't understand either Thursday or Friday without each other without the other, you know, so that if the Eucharist is just a meal, Calvary is just an execution, but if the Eucharist is where the sacrifice is initiated, the sacrifice of the new covenant Passover, then pray tell, where is that sacrifice consummated? Where do you find the fulfillment of his words, but in the deed there on the cross at Calvary? He wasn't losing his life on Friday, if he made it a gift and he was laying it down out of redemptive love for all of us on Holy Thursday. Mm -hmm. He's not the victim of Roman violence so much as he's the victim of divine love and mercy. And if it's Holy Thursday that transformed Good Friday from an execution to the, the consummation of the very same sacrifice that was initiated when the Eucharist was instituted, then Good, Good Friday is turning to Easter Sunday because Easter Sunday then is not just resuscitating a corpse, it is really transfiguring the, the sacred humanity of Jesus into something that is not just, not just resuscitated, mm -hmm. but deified, glorified. Mm -hmm. And it's not only glorified, but it's glorifying us when we receive it. It's not just deified humanity, it's deifying us. You know, and so he's setting into motion something much more than transubstantiation. I would be willing to die for that, but there's something even more than transubstantiating bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. What you see at Emmaus, at the table, when he takes, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives, and their eyes are finally opened. Why does he disappear? Because if his resurrected body remains, it could almost become a distraction or an impediment. Because once their eyes are opened in the breaking of the Eucharistic bread to the resurrected body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, then his physical body is no longer needed. He's not disappearing from their view because he's playing hard to get or hide and go seek. He's brought them precisely to the point where they need to be. It's precisely the same point where we need to be, where suddenly you see, okay, if Holy Thursday transforms Good Friday, from an execution to a sacrifice. Easter Sunday is what transforms that sacrifice into the blessed sacrament. Is it a mm -hmm. sacrifice mm -hmm. like no animals ever offered in the Jerusalem temple to be sure, but where is our high priest? He didn't just ascend into heaven for a safe getaway. He ascends into heaven to be exalted, not only enthroned as king, but as Hebrew describes as our royal high priest. But if you're a high, a high priest, you have to have something to offer. But it's not cattle, sheep, and goats. The only thing that our heavenly high priest offers up there 
is his glorified body. He's not just the high priest. He's the lamb. He's the temple. He's the altar. He's each and every single aspect of the Jerusalem temple in the Old Covenant that would converge like spokes on the hub of a wheel. Mm -hmm. Christ was always the point of all of the aspects of priestly sacrifice in the Jerusalem temple. And so you get a sense that, wait a second, then he's not only instituting one sacrament on Holy Thursday, the Eucharist, he said, do this in remembrance of me in order to empower the apostles to continue on doing what he himself alone could do. And that's why he says to the disciples in the farewell discourse of John, you, you think of John 14, 12, greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. And the disciples must have doubted that. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you raised Lazarus, a man born blind, go down the list of the signs. But there's one thing, you know, it's one thing to do miracles. It's another thing to be empowered by the paraclete, poured out by the high priest in the heavenly temple. So the Father has sent the Son to pour out the Holy Spirit upon these apostles for them to do greater works than mere, mere miracles. They'll do that as well, as we read in the book of Acts. But they are empowered after Easter Sunday to take blessed break and give so that what was unbelievably true and real back then, that, okay, the Paschal mystery is initiated when the Eucharist is instituted, but that sacrifice is only consummated when his words become manifest and his body is offered, his blood is poured out. So this is more than a Roman execution. This is the consummation of the sacrifice. But Easter Sunday shows us that the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist is the resurrected body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. He's raised. He's ascended. He's enthroned. He's also inaugurated as a priest forever to offer a sacrifice forever. So what is he offering up in heaven? His glorified body. You don't get to heaven and say, hey, where are the tabernacles? When is the holy hour? When's mass? Because that's the main event from now on. You will see the sacrifice, but the Holy Spirit is poured out so that the very same sacrifice that Christ is offering in heaven, he is offering that same sacrifice through the successors to the apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that my own son, Father Jeremiah, mm -hmm. on May 21st, 2021, on May 20th, I was the breadwinner in our home, you know, <laughs> and I was the disciplinarian, I was the father, you know, and so May 21st comes, he's ordained, what do you think you are now, you know? Well, yeah. I could have taken bread and said the same things he said on May 22nd at his yeah. first mass, but it would have still been bread. Yeah. To see the power of the Holy Spirit manifested in Father Mark, you or Father Jer, mm -hmm. so that a mortal man like you or he mm -hmm. can speak human words mm -hmm. over earthly matter like bread and wine, and you think you've got the power to transform mm -hmm. that into what? Mm -hmm. The resurrected, ascended, glorified body, blood, soul, and divinity of the Creator and the Redeemer of the universe? Mm -hmm. Just who do you think you are? You know, I remember, I think in Rome's Sweet Home, you were talking about going to a daily Mass right. and the impact. I think like Edith Stein, I think she was in Frankfurt. She went into a church before her conversion and saw this woman coming in, like she's doing her shopping, but took a moment to come and just do some adoration. And that was like a big point. It was reading that about Teresa of Avila, and I think at that point were like two big pillars of her 
to see why is this woman taking time out of her day to come pray, you know, before right. the Eucharist, you know, and, uh, but, and I, even this morning. And by the way, I, I, that was in Rome's Sweet Home, but it's the first chapter, it's the opening of the Lamb's Supper, I where I described my first Mass, because yeah. uh -huh. I was going as a Protestant pastor, as a former Presbyterian professor at a mm -hmm. seminary and all of these things, you know, but I was going because I could feel this intractable draw. I yeah. couldn't resist it. Yeah. And yet I still seemed to be far. And then by the time I heard the words of consecration, and by the time I heard them chanting the Agnus Dei, it was like the scales fell from my eyes. This isn't bread. This isn't wine. This is you. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking back on the, on the pages of the New Testament, you know, in the book of Revelation, which I had translated in an accelerated program, and I'm seeing the Mass in heaven right. with the holy, 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 the amen, the glory, the hallelujah, you know, the, the vestments, the altar, the chalices, the scroll, the book that's read and proclaimed as having been fulfilled by the Lamb. And it's like, well, looky here. That's exactly what just unfolded for the last 29 minutes in my very first Mass. God's yeah. will done on earth as it is in heaven in a Catholic Mass where the wedding supper... And so I started going to daily Mass every day for the next few weeks until to this day I'm still trying to make it every mm -hmm. day because it really is the thickest slice of heaven on earth. But it's, it's, it's not just what Christ did back in the first century. It's what he did and he does in the 21st century. But in order to... You've got to connect the mysteries to see the Mysterium Fidei. It's one mystery. It's what the Trinity reveals through the Incarnation by means of the Paschal Mystery so that the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost empowers fishermen, tax collectors, and my own son, Jer, uh -huh. to do the impossible. It's too good to be true. You know, I, I don't think as Catholics we realize just how unbelievable what we profess to believe really is. But what if it's true? What if it's the whole truth and nothing but the truth? Then suddenly we, we have higher cards dealt to us than mm. anything that could be there, you know, at the table where we are. And I just feel as though we always find excuses to focus on the confusion, the chaos, the corruption in the state, in the federal government, in the church, in the diocese, in the curia, or whatever. And to varying degrees, it's always going to be there. Mm -hmm. But what we have to recognize is whether it's a cloudy day or a sunny day or a complete like storm clouds and Noah's day, there is a sun, Jesus, shining brighter than the, the sun. And if we focus, if we lift up our hearts and focus our minds and our hearts upon these sacred mysteries, we're going to discover that the bad news, yes, it's much more horrendous than any of us could ever have imagined. <laughs> Right. even five or ten years ago. Yeah. But the good news is infinitely better than the bad news is bad. And you, you, if you focus your energy upon discovering the inexhaustible riches, it's not just true, it's real. It's not just real, it's beautiful. But it's not just a thing of beauty, it's power. It's powerful to transubstantiate sinners into saints to get us home to heaven. It's not easy, it's not automatic, we're not robots. But the sacraments can vault us into holiness precisely because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Right. And this stuff doesn't just preach, you know, but we got to recognize that this is not like turning up our religious rhetoric to 11 and blowing our speakers <laughs> out. When we get to heaven and we see the face of God the Father yeah. 
and we realize this is the glorified Christ, our high priest, we'll realize that no matter what Scott was trying to get across back then in that conversation with Father Mark, Mm -hmm. his words fell flat on their face. Mm -hmm. They fell immeasurably shorter from the reality that was there in our tabernacles, in Father Mm -hmm. Mark's hand, Mm -hmm. and on my tongue. And it's like, this is... I mean, the one thing we have going for us is objective reality, you know? <laughs> and so the lies, the half-truths are yeah. all going to give way yeah. eventually to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Right. And yet there's some mystery of our cooperation in preaching. I know tomorrow is St. Andrew's Feast Day. Beautiful. And I, I was just reading, I don't know if it's true, I was reading something that said, like for two days, he's on this, this X of a cross right. and he's preaching for two days on the cross. And I'm like thinking, <clears throat> you know, it, it speaks of the importance of proclamation of the word. But I was thinking too, it's like everybody is preaching, witnessing on their cross, right? <laughs> Throughout their life that God is victorious in whatever suffering and difficulty and chaos, you know, like it's his work, you know, is, is being proclaimed, right? His word. Yeah. And I mean, that's true for everybody. You know, it is true, and and preach it, and not like it's fable or legend. You know, and even if it is slightly embellished, there is an it to Mm -hmm. embellish, because St. Andrew was crucified, and he preferred the X because he wasn't worthy of the the cross. Mm -hmm. And he did proclaim, if not in words, his own deeds, but probably in words as well, as hard as Mm -hmm. it might have been. You know, and so to me, preserve even the small T traditions. As Chesterton would say, right. if you come across a landmark and you don't know what it's there for, our presumption is, well, then get rid of it. No, mm-hmm. find out what it's there for. Find out why these traditions emerge. Mm-hmm. Cherish them. And what I would also say is just, I mean, like a triple amen. I'm just thinking as you were speaking about, you know, the last four weeks, I never experienced bleeding ulcers before. I didn't know I had them. I didn't know they had a capacity to kind of cause me to lose consciousness. Mm. And so waking up in the morning and just doing a face plant on the bathroom floor, I guess I shook the house when I landed because Kimberly came running up, Mm. you know, and she found me unconscious. And so I ended up getting stitches along with the concussion that Mm. left me with moments of amnesia for the next few days. And I mean, it was like two days after I turned 66. I should have seen it coming, I suppose. You're in the <laughs> latter part of your 60s, you know. But, you know, I had times where the medication, the the endoscopy, the surgical procedures, I would be up like at 2 in the morning, 3. I couldn't get to sleep by 4. And I'm crying out to God and then just simply, like, I'm not being crucified. But figuratively speaking, all I could feel was weighed down by my weakness And I experienced the strength of God's mercy and the intimacy of the Blessed Virgin Mary. You know, her proximity, like she's closer to me than I am to myself. And so, you know, like I can't give you my good deeds, my books, my talks, all I can give you. And I just got a sense that that's actually heaven's preferential option. We'd prefer your weaknesses to what you consider your strengths because God's Strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I just had a sense of liberating fearlessness. You know, I don't don't want to die, but I know you fixed an hour. I just don't know when it is, but I'm not going to cave into fear anymore. 
And for the sake of my wife, my six kids, my 22 grandkids, I give you my mortal flesh and I just ask that you would have your way with me. And just lying there for hours, you know, would have been like torment. And it was at one level, Mm -hmm. but it was the most liberating sense, you know, and it was just I like to say from then on, every night has been that. You know, it's not. I'm trying to get enough sleep every night, you know. And I, and I did wake up a little cranky and all yeah, of the rest. Yeah. And I'm a son of Adam. What can I say? But I mean, that's why this, the truth of the faith has got to be realized as reality. It's got to be enjoyed. You know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's not yeah. just true in the Old Testament, the Nehemiah yeah. 10. I mean, Philippians, Paul's prison epistle speaks of rejoice in the Lord all joy more when you're in prison what are you a masochist mm. no he's just a he's a catholic realist he understands what reality consists of and last question how do you you how do you keep up your energy your vitality i mean it just seems like you just have your foot on the accelerator and you're just Got it to the floor. Bleeding <laughs> ulcers help you stop, you know, high blood pressure, you know, as well as the low iron and all of the things that I've learned about myself that were probably true for months and months that I didn't know. Um, you know, again, I try to take my own advice because good, you know, we have depression in my family going back at least three, four, possibly five or six generations. Uh, I'm not going to get into this, but we've had, you know, uh, a suicide of my grandfather before I was even born and others who have mm. really needed counseling and I'm so grateful for good Catholic counseling and all of the rest. But I have found that this single greatest therapy is to kind of paraphrase Glasser, reality therapy. But, but focusing upon the things that I have professed, you know, since becoming a Catholic 38 years ago, yeah, but I mean, even more, what, what I want to possess me. So if I were a father almighty, I would raise my family probably differently than I did, you know, but I'm not. But we have, I believe in God, the father almighty, you know, more than a creator. Before there was a, was a creation, he was an eternal father, eternally fathering the son. Fatherhood and sonship are not metaphors we made up to domesticate the deity. He's more of a family than the Hansa will ever be. And so looking at the highest mystery, what the Catechism identifies as the Trinity, which we wouldn't know apart from the second mystery, the Incarnation, which doesn't just forgive us and heal us as patients in the hospital. Christ doesn't just redeem us from sin. He redeems us for sharing his own divine sonship. Divinization, you've got to be kidding. It's like the gospel that I used to believe as an evangelical is on steroids. I mean, it's, right. it's legal. It's safe, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think that we have got to allow ourselves to let the lion out of his cage because we try to defend the lion of the Catholic faith. He'll do a better job just by proclaiming. That's what Paul was getting at. The word of the cross, it's foolishness to those who seek wisdom. Your God right. is crucified. It's weakness to those who seek signs. So to the Jews and the Greeks, but it's the, it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is wiser than the foolishness, you know, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom. Do we really believe that? Or do we just say, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ? You know, mm. like a parrot might say, Polly want a cracker. Yeah. I mean, let these truths lay hold of us and then let's lay hold on them and then just share this. Yeah. And I think our kids have all kept the faith because they've seen their parents enjoy it so much. Right, right. 
Dr. Scott Hahn, we got to get you to dinner before your show tonight. So yeah. thank you so much. Thank you for your 10, work. 10,000 thanks to you yeah. for your faithfulness as a priest and as yeah. a friend. But keep up the great work in the, in the vineyard of the Lord. Thank you.